Hello, and welcome to Literary Guys. To our listeners who have been with us for some time, you know that we occasionally like to take a moment and step away from the novel form and instead look at short stories. And we'll be doing that again this week with George Saunders' piece, Sticks, a very short story. After the reading, we will have discussion at our usual venue, the Stardust Lounge. But now, Sticks. Every year, Thanksgiving night, we flocked out behind Dad as he dragged the Santa suit to the road and draped it over a kind of crucifix he'd built out of a metal pole in the yard. Super Bowl week, the pole was dressed in a jersey and Rod's helmet, and Rod had to clear it with Dad if he wanted to take the helmet off. On the 4th of July, the pole was Uncle Sam. On Veterans Day, a soldier. On Halloween, a ghost. The pole was Dad's only concession to glee. We were allowed a single Crayola from the box at a time. One Christmas Eve, he shrieked at Kimmy for wasting an apple slice. He hovered over us as we poured ketchup, saying, Good enough, good enough, good enough. Birthday parties consisted of cupcakes, no ice cream. The first time I brought a date over, she said, What's with your dad in that pole? And I sat there blinking. We left home, married, had children of our own found the seeds of meanness blooming also within us. Dad began dressing the pole with more complexity and less discernible logic. He draped some kind of fur over it on Groundhog Day and lugged out a floodlight to ensure a shadow. When an earthquake stuck Chile, he lay the pole on its side and spray-painted a rift in the earth. Mom died and he dressed the pole as death and hung from the crossbar photos of Mom as a baby. We'd stop by and find odd talismans from his youth arranged around the base. Army medals, theater tickets, old sweatshirts, tubes of mom's makeup. One autumn, he painted the pole bright yellow. He covered it with cotton swabs that winter for warmth and provided offspring by hammering in six crossed sticks around the yard. He ran lengths of string between the pole and the sticks and taped to the string letters of apology, admissions of error, pleas for understanding, all written in a frantic hand on index cards. He painted a sign saying, Love, and hung it from the pole, and another that said, Forgive? And then he died in the hall with the radio on, and we sold the house to a young couple who yanked out the pole and the sticks and left them by the road on garbage day. Welcome to the Stardust Lounge. I'm Dr. Gordon McCallan. And I'm author Zachary Kellyan. Um, thoughts? <laughs> I, I love this piece. You know, George Saunders is atypical for us in doing a, a short story reading. He's still very much alive. He's still an active writer today. Lincoln in the Bardo is probably one of his more famous works that people would know. Um, but he's really kind of made himself stand out amongst the literary luminaries of our day by really being an academic when it comes to how to construct good fiction. And I think that this is just a masterclass in about 500 words of telling really a complete story arc with a lot of pathos and a lot of emotion, a lot of ennui. So I just love this piece. And I'm curious to kind of unfold with you some of what it means to us. We are both men who have fathers. Mm -hmm. And so I think anyone who has had a father, uh, especially of that generation, can probably relate to at least some of this story. I absolutely agree. And before we get into that discussion, 
I would encourage our readers to go find a copy of this text because the way in which it's on the page is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't even just about the words. It's about the punctuation. It's about the capitalization. It's about all of these things that use the artifice of the printed word in order to convey meaning. And in a form this short, you have to compare this to poetry more so than you would traditional prose. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It really is. The structure of this story really does kind of define, I think, how it's to be interpreted. I mean, on its surface, it's very much just like almost this crazy anecdote, uh, George Costanza's father-esque Festivus moment, right? Mm -hmm. With the the aluminum metal pole. And luckily, you don't have to dive too much deeper beyond that to, to really see this story unfold as something far more than a quirky dad anecdote. It really is saying so much about men's inability to communicate, father's inability to kind of share that same nurturing and love that as the patriarch of the family, maybe they've been made to feel they aren't allowed to show. And to me, it's just, it talks about, man, like generational pain and, you know, how our interactions with our father have affected us over the years. And it does that all in such a short amount of time. It even has questions in it, like having read this a number of times, that the big thing that sits in my head from the character of the father is, did he feel this way? Did he have these deep emotions at the time in which these things were happening with his kids and they were young? Or was it only later in life upon reflection and upon the tragic loss of his wife? that he actually himself came to terms with who he was and what he had done in order to seek redemption? Or was this something which had haunted him all along? I think that's a great point. I kind of view it the former way, as you described. It seems like, you know, at first the stick man out in the front yard is just, as the story says, his one concession to joy. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's probably very true. You know, you kind of do see a man who's maybe got some depths to him, maybe has some whimsy baked in somewhere behind Mm -hmm. that gruff male exterior. And that's the one and only outlet that even he can't articulate or realize. But then, yeah, his wife has died. He's kind of confronted with his own mortality. We know by the end of the story that when he really starts trying to communicate more through this stick figure, that um, he's close to his own death and kind of facing that reconciliation moment. And his pleas for help, his pleas for understanding, his pleas to maybe make some kind of meaningful connection with his family that basically go unnoticed and unanswered are just heartbreaking to me because how many men has that been true for? How many men have died with things left unsaid who were never made to feel like they could fully open up to those around them and died holding all of that in? It's such a tragic statement of masculinity in our culture and some of the things that we're still reconciling with in 2022. He directly goes after that idea of generational pain, because in the beginning of the second and final paragraph of this text, (laughs) that it begins, we left home, married, had children of our own, found the seeds of meanness blooming also within us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he's not pulling any punches here. He clearly is saying that this isn't about a father who was necessarily just withholding the term meanness is very explicit in my mind in order to contextualize what happened in the first paragraph. That Mm -hmm. there was an anger behind this. It wasn't just sort of a withdrawn loner, if you want to use that term, father, but instead it is a meanness that underlies that, which 
was successfully passed along to that next generation. You see how impressionable kids are and how much a little gesture of warmth can go such a long way for a kid. And when deprived of any of that, what chance do you have to, you know, be a nurturing parent to a successive generation of children? It really does define so much of what I assume is world culture, but I can definitely say is American culture, Mm -hmm. specifically that culture of masculinity where men are supposed to be this authoritarian figure in the household, this, this kind of steady rock never showing emotion, never letting quote-unquote weakness be shown, even if that weakness, quote-unquote, is you telling your child that they are loved. And man, how did we go so wrong? And and how do we dig ourselves out from this? Well, I certainly am not going to solve all of the ills of child psychology here, but certainly I think that the level of expectation that we have been told by society that we need to put into the next generation each time and that anything short of fantastic excellence is somehow, you know, a sin unto itself that you get this criticality. And I think that comes through with the father in the story. It's, it's you know, mean, it's, it, it's critical, it's passed on. And it's also this inability to have any sort of discourse here. I mean, it's what you were just talking about. Like, the most that this man was able to say was forgive, written on an index card. Yeah. That doesn't make up for a lifetime of transgressions. And so, in some ways... It's an epic gesture that this person who was so closed in, so incapable of expressing that love, was able to even recognize enough in order to do that. Mm -hmm. That's epic. Yeah. But it's still minuscule compared to what was actually necessary to change the course of this generational pain that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. As we read this in 2022, it really strikes me, you know, there's rightfully so a lot of criticism that's being dumped on toxic masculinity now and male behavior. And I'm not disagreeing with any of that, nor am I suggesting that women have not had their own BS thrust Mm -hmm. on them by society. But one of the things that this story, I think, helps highlight, and I hope anyone who reads the story can kind of parse out on their own. Men have historically had a lot of BS thrown their way, too. And maybe a lot of the quote-unquote toxic masculine traits that we see aren't inherent to being a man. It's something that society has reinforced. And in these familiar structures, this cycle has reinforced itself. You know, if that is how you were raised, to not ever show your emotion, but you are an emotional creature just like any other living, breathing human being, those emotions are going to come out in very violent at times, very unproductive ways. And I think, I hope anyways, you can, people can read the story and think to themselves, you know, men are the victims of societal expectation here too. And while it doesn't excuse the behavior, I think it should offer some level of understanding for why so many men are the way that they are. But I think it is a bold choice to try and change. Yeah. And we actually in the story don't see change. No. We actually see two interesting bits of not change. We see the son and the meanness, as we said, growing within him and the distance that exists here in his world. But then we also have the mention of this family who buys the house and takes this essentially shrine Mm -hmm. and just dumps it on the side of the road. There's something so callous about that action that it's almost a tiny glimpse into, oh, there's a third generation here. Mm -hmm. Because I'm going to assume that they're younger than the narrator is here, who also is not able to appreciate this thing for what it is and uh, is probably carrying on those same behaviors themselves. 
or even just the outside world looking in, you know, how, yeah, how could you forgive your father if at the end of his life he's only managed to scrawl a couple words of, of reconciliation onto, you know, poster board. But from an outsider looking in, they're completely indifferent to it too. They don't recognize this pain that's been caused, that is being caused, that is being felt. And I think that's, that's pretty insightful in terms of how society treats a lot of men's mental health. It's very cats in the cradle, right? My, my yeah. boy was just like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's something that we see time and time again. And I, I think we're getting better at it. I think, you know, the fact that you and I can have a podcast where we talk mostly about our feelings, occasionally about books, mm-hmm. is a step in the right direction. But it, there's so minuscule steps compared to the damage that's been done, just as the father's attempts to reach out, as you said, are so minuscule compared to the damage already done. It's like, man, how many more generations are we going to go through this until we're at least mostly healed from it? When I read stories like this, and I, I think you make a great analogy to Cats in the Cradle, I think that that is very much in the same vein here. But something that I, I've thought a lot about, someone who doesn't have kids and in that, but I think at one point in my life I thought about that, mm-hmm. and I'm just so glad at the time I didn't. Which is to say, not that I'm against that, in the current point in my life it's not something I'm interested in either, but... I'm saying this more as I'm really glad I didn't have kids when I was younger Mm -hmm. because I look at my own mental health at the time and about personal realization and about knowing who I am in a way that isn't going to be incredibly toxic to children. Right. Like that to me is a blessing that I didn't go down that road at a young age because I think this would be telling a story of me. Mm Mm-hmm. I think when we look at fathers, and I guess it's a privilege to be able to, to say this, and I, I, you know, I want to be careful about privilege, but that ability to get to know yourself is step one of being able to communicate with others and to show love towards others. I honestly don't know I'd be too much better than the father in this had I not taken the, the time to find out who I am. And as part of that, I discovered that that wasn't something which is important. Sure. And, but it's kind of scary to think about. Like, I could see myself falling into that trap. And it's not just because you don't know any better. It's because you're scared. Mm-hmm. You're scared. You fall back on instinct. You fall back on that programming that you got as a kid. And I think, man, how crazy is it that our psychological development is so at war with our biology because Mm -hmm. here we are two men in our 40s really just now starting to figure ourselves out and take our own mental health into consideration and to prioritize the love that we allow ourselves to experience and the love that we share to the world maybe now we're finally in a good position to maybe have some kids certainly no one in their 20s i don't think would be and you can't even work on it when you're raising a child because right. it's so all-consuming. So, you know, maybe by the time, you know, you're home alone and your wife has passed away and you start reflecting on your life, you begin to have those inkling, those nascent flickers of like, hey, maybe there's something more to all of this. And by then it's too late. And so it's something that I think we should talk more about as a society and really reflect on. And hopefully educate young people on too about the nature of these cycles of violence and neglect and abuse and all of that and how that has played into not just our familiar dynamics our identities as men but society as a whole how it's affected the world as a whole 
Well, I think that's probably a good place then to wrap up our discussion. I want, want to thank you, Zach, for bringing me the story. I was unaware of it before, and I'm really glad I got to read it. I think, as we say time and time again here, that there's great long novels and mm-hmm. great short stories, and there's whatever this is, which is uh, a short story at, I guess you could say. The correct definition would be flash fiction. Anything under a thousand words uh, would be flash fiction, and I think... There's something really powerful about the English language where in 500 words you can accomplish what some novels aren't able to do. And that's one of the things I love so much about our language. And I love the opportunity to explore that language with you and continue to grow as men and and continue to hold one another accountable. I think this story is, is a good kind of mental reset, and I'm glad we were able to have this discussion. Wonderful. Well, until next time, this has been Literary Guys, signing off.